Welcome to the Highland Gospel Mission, a podcast to all nations. Each week, Pastor Keith will deliver a Holy Spirit-inspired message from Highland Southern Baptist Church to the rest of the world. If you have a Bible, we encourage you to read along and study the Word for deeper understanding. Now, here's Pastor Keith with this week's message. All right, we are going to continue on the book of Titus. So Titus chapter 1. I think I got through two verses the last time. We'll see how I do this time. I'm going to try, I'm going to, try to take some bigger bites. But So if you remember last, uh, last week when we was in the book of Titus, uh, we, I mentioned an awful lot about Titus being, or when I talked about Titus, Titus was a young man just like Timothy. Um, maybe not quite as young as Timothy, but pretty close to the same age as Timothy. And uh, and I'd mentioned that you know how, how difficult it was for Timothy. When you read the letters to that Paul wrote to Timothy, you can see how much he's encouraging Timothy not to hide his faith, not to uh, be worried about people worrying about him being young, not to he's he's trying to encourage him because the difficulty is. I mean, he said specifically, "Don't let them look down on your youth." Well, don't let them look down on your youth. Why would Paul say that? Unless it was an issue. It was an issue. You have a 16-year-old whippersnapper walking into a church, handing 50, 60-year-old people pieces of paper and expected to carry any authority, right? Titus was the exact same way, except I think that Titus in many ways had a little bit more of a different, difficult challenge than, uh, than Timothy because Titus was being sent to an entire island that was a culture of its own. An entire island. Crete was a place, and we'll see a little bit of description hopefully today, of what these types of people were. And if you remember, I asked you if, if you knew what a Cretan was. And that when I was younger, people, if somebody was somebody who was lazy and just consumed everything, they called them Cretans. And, uh, and that's where the name came from, straight from the Bible. Here, somebody call somebody a Cretan. It's actually a, a slang term that people picked out of the Bible and used. Uh, because it used, it used it then. You'll even see if you read past that how the Apostle Paul explains it. He's like, their own, their own prophets, their own people say that they're lazy gluttons. So he's like, he's like I'm, not, I'm not using the word. I'm not calling them a Cretan. <laughs> um, but I'm saying that their own people call them Cretans. And that, mean, that already meant something around the region, around the area. What the Apostle Paul uh, entrusted to Titus was uh, to set, setting things in order that remained now when you say setting things in order that remain that means the apostle paul has already been there he's already um started for lack of a better term a uh, core group okay because back then we get the idea of this philosophy of church being a particular location we got to remember back then it wasn't um if when you talk when you talk about the church in corinth chances are and historically i could probably find the name for you um there was a person who opened their house that that church actually met in that was the way that it happened you didn't have people building big churches because you had the synagogues around everywhere and you had the other things around it you didn't build big churches until until a little bit further into the establishment of the church most of these places that people stayed were in individuals homes who had opened them up for churches so the Apostle Paul had already started a work there, and we'll see by what he says here. Take a look at verse, uh, I'm going to read, I'm, let's go ahead and start from verse 1, since I'm trying to refresh in everybody's memories. It says, Paul, a bondservant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, for the faith of those chosen of God and the knowledge of the truth, 
I'm sorry, and of, of God and the knowledge of the, of the truth, which is according to godliness, in the hope of eternal life, which God, who cannot lie, promised long ages ago. Now, the bondservant, remember me talking about Paul, why he called himself a bondservant, and what a bondservant is, and the difference between a bondservant and just a servant? who a slave is, the fact that we don't have a choice. I actually mentioned that the other night. Uh, as Christians, and, and I said, do you believe in free will? I believe you have to. I get all kinds of theological arguments from this, but I believe you have to. There's no way around it. There's no way around it because, one, God doesn't glorify, God doesn't get glory from making something glorify him. He gets glory from something choosing to glorify him, and he also gets glory from something choosing not to glorify him. He gets glory from that too. You have a choice. Should you always have a choice? Free will is exactly whatever one of us are supposed to have all the way up to the point that we trust in Jesus Christ as our personal Lord and Savior. Now, the Bible, does it say that once we come to know Christ, we die to ourselves? Does it say it? The Apostle Paul, what did he say? It is no longer I that live, but Christ that lives in me. The Bible affirms over and over that when we become Christians, we are supposed to die to ourselves, die to the old way of life, and begin to live the new way of life. Is the Bible very clear in that? It is. It's very clear in that. There's no chance for us to misunderstand the point of what God's trying to accomplish through the Apostle Paul and what he's trying to accomplish in Titus through the Apostle Paul as well. When you look at verse 3, when he says, But at the proper time manifested even his word in the proclamation with which I, I was entrusted according to the commandment of God our Savior. Why, he's writing this letter to Timothy. Why is he talking about, But at the proper time manifested even his word in the proclamation with which I was entrusted according to the commandment of God our Savior. Why does he feel the need to point this out? Have you ever thought about the fact that God manifests the proclamation of his word in our lives every day? Just think about how many decisions you make in a day that God has influenced. The Apostle Paul, what, what was his experience? On the road to Damascus to deliver a letter that would have given him the right to not only arrest, but to persecute and even put to death Christians. Jesus Christ shows up on the road to Damascus. Did that change the course of the Apostle Paul's life? It did. How is the Apostle Paul being confronted by Jesus on the road to Damascus and Titus being confronted with a challenge of delivering not only a letter, but to oversee the purpose behind Paul actually giving this time and attention to this church? Keep reading. Verse 4. To Titus, my true child... In a common faith, grace and peace from God the Father 
and Christ Jesus our Savior. What other person do we have in Scripture that the Apostle Paul actually called calls his true child in a common faith? Timothy was the other one. Timothy and Titus, both of them. Yeah, I did just say Timmy on accident. Maybe he got a sense of humor. Maybe he was called Timmy. Timmy, Timmy. Timmy fell in the well. No, I'm just... <clears throat> a common faith, faith, grace and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Savior. When he talks about grace and peace, he's talking about grace and peace in the context of, one, he has to be someone who is offering it or extending it. You can't offer something you don't have, but he can extend it, but it's also something that he has to accept himself. I mean, when you go into a situation scared, do you make mistakes? You go into a situation really not knowing what to expect, more likely to make mistakes? He needs to know that our the God we serve, he is a God of grace and peace. He is a God who says, you do what you're supposed to do, and when you make mistakes, I got that covered. We don't run around making mistakes on purpose. Of course, we spend our life trying to avoid a lot of those mistakes, knowing what the result of those mistakes are. Blast radiuses, negatives for everybody. And he says this, For this reason I left you in Crete, that you might set in order what remains and appoint elders in every city as I directed you. Before we get into these, I want you to understand this now. In many cases, Timothy was sent to places to deliver a letter. Might have had to read that letter occasionally. What's Titus' job? Anything that's left. I left you behind in Crete so that you may set in order what remains. Again, I told you a while ago, Paul had been there. He, he had cultivated up a, a core group. He had a core group that was ready to go. But the problem is now you have this core group of individuals who are made up of a community of individuals who have been influenced by the Roman, Greco-Roman pantheism, polytheism, religious system for their entire lives. Individuals who will also stay separated from, but also fellowship with Jews and Jews who will do the same thing. This whole religious thing just became a mess. So the church was being bombarded, that core group being bombarded by the culture of the people who lived in Crete. That culture being bombarding was going to make Titus's job very difficult when it came to him establishing. Now, how do you, where do you even start? Leadership. You ever hear anybody say, man, if I just had the people? Man, if I just had the people. The truth is, if a church faces struggles that are societal, that are cultural, that's noticeable. But if you have leaders who are lazy gluttons, if you have deacons and pastors 
And if you have elders who are lazy gluttons, then what can you expect that church to produce? It's just going to be another good old boys club in Crete. The exact same people who live outside the walls would be the ones coming inside the walls to worship. And vice versa. The ones inside the walls would be going outside the walls to live. There would be no difference between those individuals. So he turns his attention first to the leadership. He says this in verse 6. Namely, if any man be above reproach, the husband of one wife, having children who believe, not accused of dissipation or rebellion. For the overseer must be above reproach as God's steward, not self-willed, not quick-tempered, not addicted to wine, not pugnacious, not, uh, not fond of sordid gain, but hospitable, loving what is good, sensible, just, devout, self-controlled, holding fast the faithful word, which is in accordance with the teaching that he may be able to both to exhort in sound doctrine and to refute those who contradict. So the first thing that he starts with is individuals' choices they make in life. In other words, a qualification in the Bible, like this particular qualification, it's not a qualification that you meet. It's a qualification that individuals can use to see if you have met. I had people talking about, hey, I'd love to be a deacon. Qualifications are right there. Ought to be ready in a year. Is that the way you look at it? Qualify in certain earmarked points of the church so that you appear to be elder material or deacon material or pastor material? No, this is about individuals. He's saying, you watch the individuals, the ones who pay attention, the ones who take God's word and apply it to them, their lives, the one who is the extension of what God is. That's what you look for. You don't look for the ones that are selfish. You don't look for the ones that love money. You don't look for the ones that love to drink. You don't look for the ones that have bad attitudes. You look for the ones that are not selfish. Where's he at? What's the chances of finding somebody that meets those qualifications on Crete? Did Titus's job just get harder? It just got way harder. We're talking about a potentially lengthy term responsibility for Titus, for a young man. Verse 10 says, for there are many rebellious men, empty talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision, who must be silenced because they are upsetting whole families, teaching things they should not teach for the sake of sordid gain. One of themselves, a prophet of their own, said, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. The testimony is true. For this cause, reprove them severely that they may be sound in the faith. He picked one topic. Circumcision. What do you think he means by reprove them severely? When you discipline your kids, why do you whip them? Some of you may say, well, I don't whip my kids. 
well, why don't you whip your kids? Because I'm afraid it's going to leave a mark. I'm going to tell you something. The whipping's supposed to leave a mark. Not a beating bruise mark, but it's supposed to leave a mark in their life, a little notch for them to check off, this is something I should not do. Now, we don't do that because we just don't want them to do it, right? We don't want them to do the things they're doing if the things that's going to hurt them. Amen? Now, we also, and especially don't want them doing things that's going to hurt them, that's also going to hurt everybody around them. I've had a couple of people ask me, they say, why do you comment on these things on Facebook? It's a pretty good question. For the most part, I have learned to detach myself from it and not comment. But if somebody who's a church member or a former church member or somebody who is a widely known Christian says something that is absolutely not correct, it's a responsibility to correct it. And not just to correct it, but to correct it how? With authority. Would you say severely is the use of authority? It absolutely is. That they may be sound in the faith. In other words, here's something that we have completely forgotten. It's something that we forget completely forget. And I get it. I mean, you can I could sit down with you for a couple hours, explain to you the history uh, the, through the dark ages and how the church has gotten to where it's at right now. And I'm talking about the the big the big C church. But how it has gotten right now. Much of this is very understandable. But when did the church really accept being told that we lost? Wait, are we not being told we lost? Why? Why are Christians not standing up? Why are we not seeing waves of praise? Over Roe v. Wade being overturned. Kids. As young as 12. Being confused in life. And Christians are called the discompassionate ones. And they're the compassionate ones because they're about to do irreversible surgery to a minor. Where's the church? Where is it? I'll be honest with you. The Big C Church, it's a coward. It is. It's, it's straight up cowardice. And I know how big that is, considering the sermon that I preached a month ago. If, if you like confrontation, there's something wrong with you. Nobody likes it. But is it necessary? What's the result? If, if Titus just disregards what Paul says and he goes out and picks the guy that's the easiest guy for the job just to get in the spot so he can get off the island, what's the consequences? I hope that people respect me enough 
that if they are living in an unrepentant sin and I walk to them, that they are so uncomfortable they can't stand still. Not because I like people to be uncomfortable, but because I know the choices that people make in life that lead them down the path that leads to absolute destruction is the consequence. You really shouldn't be that hard on them. The Bible tells us to be gentle, amen? But it says reprove them severely. It tells us kindness, right? Reprove them severely. It says when you go to an individual, you go with them the same way that you want them to come to you, right? But there it says reprove them severely. And here's the concept, folks. Gentleness, we don't get to define. Kindness, we don't get to define. And love, we do not get to define. God cornered the market on it. If we have genuine faith, the, the decision to trust in Jesus Christ was real. We've tasted the life in Christ. We know at least a tip of the iceberg of what it has to offer. But how far are we willing to go to protect it? How far are you willing to go to protect it for you? How far are you willing to go to protect it for a friend? Are you willing to reprove them severely? Not angrily. Not for the purpose of doing damage, not for the purpose of tearing down, but for the purpose of building up. Have you ever sat in a room and talked to someone who justified the sin they were in? It's enraging. It is absolutely enraging. You've got to be kidding me. And you can ask anybody who sat in there, my definition of severely may be seen different through other eyes, but occasionally there is the severely comes out. See, to just say, okay, there's, there's the door and there's your car. Because if this is the way you're going to play the game, I don't want to play. Is it severe? Had somebody one time at one point in my ministry came to me and asked me if I would marry the, the couple, and I've mentioned this before, and the reason was that they didn't want to be um, consummating a marriage without the marriage. I agreed if they went through the counseling, went through the counseling, they're divorcing. I set the guy in the chair across from me in the office, and I said, why didn't you just sleep with her? You think it shocked him? It did. Because I don't get it. We don't want to dishonor God by the beginning of the relationship. But a little while in, 
We're ready to dishonor him by ending it. So is it harsh for me to say, why did you sleep with her? Why did you have to bring me into it? Why did you have to bring God into the picture at all? Because apparently he meant no more at that point than he does now. Why? Because I really think that people don't realize how serious sin is. I don't think people think about the blast radius. I don't think they think about anything outside of how something affects them as a human being. If we trust in Jesus and we stick with it, he's going to teach us how to care more for other people than we do for ourselves. He's going to teach us how to make ourselves last and everyone else first. He continually tells us not to be people who are looking out for our own personal interests alone, but also for the interests of others. Do you think I like going to people that I love and saying things to them that I know cuts them? I don't get a kick out of that. It crushes me to see it. But you know what hurts me more? I forgot someone over. You know what it means when God turns you over? He gives me permission, at least for the time being, to stop caring. It's literally God going, look, I know I put you in their life. They refuse to listen to you. They're not going to hear what it is that you have to say. We just had to let them walk off the cliff. Now I might let you pick them up, but we have to let them walk off the cliff. That's what turned over is. And, he, and he's done it to people in my lifetime. Quite a few people. Individuals who make the choices that are contrary for their, themselves and never for other people. People who continually create issues and problems in other people's lives because of the actions they don't even think about the consequences of. How many of you guys think about the consequences of the times you don't show up to church? Now, I'm not trying to make you feel guilty, and I don't want to make you feel guilty. You go on vacations, and you go, you have things, you're sick. I, I don't ask any questions when you guys are gone. I'll let you know I miss you because I mean it. Did you ever think about how much you missing one service impacts this church? It impacts it in ways that most people don't even stop to think about. Miss Rosie's not here. What do I lose? Sunday school teacher, nursery worker, evening kids ministry. Julie don't show up because she's sick. Now, these are all justifiable reasons. I mean, that again, they're not reasons I can criticize. It's not like they just didn't show up today, right? But I know the example and the experience based on what it is that I see every week. How much do we miss you? That's not just a text message. I mean it. Because when you aren't here, my life gets much harder. And then Doug's life gets harder and Angela's life gets harder because I start having to pull them out of positions that they're in to put them in other positions to cover. Now, I'm not saying this. Listen, we're in growth. I'm not concerned about the, the missing people and positions anymore. I believe God's got this. In his time, he's going he's gonna to handle it. 
This is more about us as individuals, being individuals who grow up being sound in the faith. What you say matters. What you do matters. Where you are matters. All of these things matter. Take a look at verse 13. This testimony is true. For this cause, reprove them severely that they may be sound in the truth, not paying our sound in the faith, not paying attention to Jewish myths and commandments of men who turn away from, uh, turn away from the truth. To the pure, all things are pure, but to those who are defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure, but both their mind and their conscience are defiled. They profess to know God, but by their deeds they deny him, being detestable and disobedient and worthless for any good deed. Sound in the faith for this reason. If we aren't sound in the faith, we're useless to God. It didn't say that you had to be perfect, did it? It said you had to be sound which means what? Firm in the faith. Firm in the faith. Are you required to know everything to be firm in the faith? No. Firm in the faith, I will even argue, has nothing to do with how much you know and everything to do with what, you, what you're determined to do. Because I know, and you know too, everything that we do, we know whether it's going to have a positive or ne negative impact on our faith. Do we not? The Jewish myths, the commandments, the philosophies that people were speaking at that time, if individuals grabbed a hold of those and they, and they accepted them into their Christianity, then what comes out as a result? Is it Christianity? I've got a perfect example for you today. You know, you know what a Christian Jew is today, right? I mean, and I'm, I'm saying there are Jews who are Christians, and I get that. But the Catholic Church is the Christian Jews. They're the ones who took doctrine from two different testaments and decided to try to twist them together. Because how do you get one that says that Christ and Christ alone is where we find faith? But on the other hand, you got to go see the priest so that he can give you the antidote for your mistakes over the last week. I'm very serious about this. That mentality is where this came from. It was people who were walking through life who weren't firm in the faith, their position. If somebody walked up to me and said, I've got all of the evidence in the world that I need to prove to you that there ain't a God. If I'm firm in my faith, what am I going to say? Uh, uh I don't care how much evidence you have. Right? So when we ch face the challenges, the struggles, the doctrinal issues with other religions and other people trying to impact us with philosophies, we have the best defense that we can possibly have. And that's why God wants us to be people who defend it, not only in our lives, but to defend it also in others' lives. Christianity tends to be a little nosy. Did you notice that? 
It didn't take me too long to figure out. Honestly, Christianity is nosy. Who else knocks on your door at any given time of the day? Hangs door hangers on it, even when you're not home. Tapes stuff to your front door when you're not home. Jews believed in the law. The foundation of our faith has nothing to do with the law except the fact or the knowledge of the fact that Jesus Christ fulfilled it. That's it. If you ain't heard it, I'll say it again. God did not give us the Ten Commandments to follow. Do you hear me? I'm going to say it again. God did not give us the Ten Commandments to follow. You know why he gave us Ten Commandments? To prove to us that we can't follow. The law is what shows the need for Christ. The law is what exposes the fact that we're individuals who can't meet that law. But if an individual is weak in their faith and not sound in their faith, that individual is going to take bits and pieces of every good part, in their opinion, of every religion they can find in order for them to make some morphed-out issue of who God and the church and Christianity really is. Saved by grace? Become see a priest or else... Saved by grace, or make sure you send your yearly check to the church. Saved by grace, or, I mean, you're penal- you are being penalized in your salvation. It's poison. It is absolute poison. You can't take any part of the law, shove it into Christianity, and it be a positive impact. Sound in the faith. Why? I mean, they profess to know God, but by their deeds, they deny him being detestable and disobedient and worthless for any good work. Because if you don't trust that the word of God is absolute, then what reason would you ever have to accept all of it and apply it to your life? And at what point does it stop becoming Christianity? The instant that it's been manipulated. And the Southern Baptist Convention's done its fair share. Husband and one wife, if you've ever been divorced, you'd never be a pastor or a deacon. Well, it means husband and one wife at a time. That means that we're not going to be polygamists. Really? I was a brawler. I didn't like to fight, but if somebody wanted to scrap, I'd do it. I was also a drunkard, by the way. I consumed a lot of alcohol. Alcohol poisoned twice in my life. I believe close to death on one of those occasions. Why am I forgiven for the alcohol and the fighting, but someone who's divorced can't be? Who changed that rule? It's legalistic. 
We can't say that Jesus Christ died on the cross, provided us grace for all sin of mankind, but whoa, you little divorced person there who wants to be a deacon. Let's say what makes sense. Well, what makes sense is husband of one wife would mean one woman man. Not a man whose eyes wander. Not a man who flirts with other women. Not a man who sleeps around with other women. Not a man who takes advantage of other women in any, in any other way. That's what he means by that. Uncle mine. The Bible says that you are not to be unequally yoked. Finish it. What? Finish the verse. You don't get to stop it anywhere you want to. Finish it. Do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. Not black people, not white people, not Mexican people, not tall people, not short people. Unbelievers. Drive just a little way south of here, though. Ask every church you drive past what that verse means, and they'll tell you. That means black people shouldn't marry white people. White people shouldn't marry black people. Should be mixing the races. When's the church going to stand up? When's it going to stand up and say enough is enough is enough? Because that's really what Titus is looking for. He's looking to get the church to the point that he can actually leave. Now, the Apostle Paul, he's looking to get more than Titus is because the Apostle Paul is hoping that when Titus leaves, everything that remained is in order. That's all Paul wanted. But the fact is, what good is any person if Paul was to get help? I had some help this last week, by the way, or uh, at camp, when I was at camp. Now, last week I had some help. Jameson, just a helper. How much help was he? You think he helped more or got in the way more? Yeah. You know that and 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 I'm using this for an example just simply because of the, the, the fact that it's it's a good example. My grandson can waste all my time he wants to, just to be clear. It wasn't very helpful. Why? Well, some of the stuff he wanted to do, he wasn't strong enough to do. He couldn't pick stuff up because some of the stuff was too heavy. <clears throat> some of the stuff he got too tired to do. <clears throat> and that was typically the stuff he just didn't want to do. He was too tired to do. I'm too tired, Papa. I can't do it right now. So let's say Titus runs out there because he's wanting to get this church, wanting to get this church strong, established, runs out, grabs him one guy, and he goes, come here, you're going to help me. No qualifications. No look into the guy's faith history. Just come on, you're going to help me. How much good is that guy going to be to, to Titus? None. This all makes sense. This is the nuts and bolts of a building structure. This is the structure of the Apostle Paul saying, these are the people that you need to teach, and this is what you need to teach them, and if they refuse to hear what it is that you need to teach them, then they will leave. Why do you suppose I've never been really concerned about people in here who are non-doctrinal? This is something I learned over the years, by the way. If you preach the truth, 
There's no chance you get through a sermon without being offensive to somebody. There's no chance. If a person loves the truth, they're going to walk out of the church and go, Wow! Give me more! Right? What's a person who doesn't love the truth going to do? Yeah. They're going to go find them a comfortable place to worship. And hey, I totally respect people's right to go to hell. If it's really what they want to do, I totally respect that right. But I'm still going to provide them the opportunity not to. It comes down to this question. What Titus is doing is not what my, what my responsibilities are. Matter of fact, I would go so far as to say, from God's perspective, this isn't even about the church in Crete. More than anything else, this is about Titus. Titus having the building blocks in front of him to understand that he has the capabilities of building any structure within the guidelines God provides from the ground up and it be a sound ministry. Just like Bay 3 Camp while ago when I was talking about the retreat, I don't want to do it this fall. Why? Can't give it justice. If I do damage to it this fall, is it going to affect the number of kids that hear the gospel in the spring? Yes, let's back up, pump the brakes, plan a good one for the spring, and then if we can get the kids from the spring to come, then we'll have a bigger group that will come in the fall. Huh? Then what does that look like for the summer? Yeah. The number of, I mean, just the number of kids that are touched, and those kids go back to their communities, and they share what it is that God did in their life with those kids, and with the kids they go to school with, and with their parents, and it blows up huge. Think about the fact that in the U.S., I think we're somewhere around 2.5, I don't know how they come with that number, 2.5 kids a household. If you take every kid that went to camp this year, which was ballpark 580 total, um, Kids, I'm sorry, it was about 500. Um, 500? 2.5 people in the household means that for every child that went to camp, they went home and they spoke to two more people in their household about it. And that's an average. Some households are more than that. Some households are less than that. Now, a lot of us think we walk, we, we jump in our cars after we load everything up, we leave Bay Street Camp, and what do we think? Camp's over! Is it? We, if it is, then we're selling God awful short because we have not even begun. I, I love being able to walk away saying 31 kids gave their life to Christ this year at camp. But you know what I don't know? You don't know how many students came to know Christ as a result of that. You don't know how many students may come to know Christ over that student's lifetime because of that. Paul wants Timothy to know that the way that we build a structure is important. And he's establishing that in the church. But I want you to draw that line in closing to our individual lives. The same structure is needed here. You can build a church based on these principles, but you can also build a life based on these principles. If we get past thinking that God is just that authoritarian, dominant 
hit you over the head every time you make a mistake. We're missing a perspective of this relationship that is absolutely necessary to be able to enjoy the life that Jesus promised. No matter how big or small the call may be, no matter how big or small the gift may present itself, there's only one way to make sure that you do not become detestable, disobedient, and worthless. Unless it's stay sound in the faith. So where are you? I'm going to throw my wife off because I'm going to leave you guys out on time today. If you're here today and you've never placed your trust in Jesus Christ, your personal Lord and Savior, I want you to come up here and let me know if the Holy Spirit moves you to do so. I'll take whatever time is necessary to talk to you about the one that can, that can save you. As believers, though, I know for a fact that we go through courses of life I should say courses of time in life where our faith is consistently shaken. And every time that our faith is shaken, we either grow stronger or we grow weaker. And every bit of that has to do with the perspective that we have on it. When it comes down to it, our faith demands Christ alone. It demands that he get our allegiance. Listen, not even the church. The church gets your allegiance through your allegiance to Christ. We don't, know, we, don't, we don't link ourselves to allegiance to things just because they're things that seem to be righteous. And if we're going to link ourselves to things that God's using and accomplishing huge things in other people's lives, then we should be people who really want to see that model be made by him. And he made it. He made it. You want to be a builder? Got to have a plan. You think you're going to cut water lines along the way? Power cables? Internet cables? You're going to face your challenges and your struggles? Are we going to shut the job down because you break a water main? Or walk away from it for more than 24 hours? Nope. Job goes on, right? Stop may work temporarily, work may stop temporarily, but it ain't going to stop no further than it takes for them to repair whatever was damaged. In some cases, it's not dangerous. They'll keep working while they're repairing what was damaged. We're going to trip and fall flat on our face sometimes. It's going to hurt. We're going to get up with bloody noses and skint knees. But I can tell you, when you spend your lifetime stumbling, falling, fat lips, busted noses, black eyes, and you get to the point where it's just like, oh, and you turn around, and what do you see behind you? nothing but a great big wide long path of glory and we say how how did i become the person who just tripped and stumbled and fell and bruised myself and bled myself and then i turn around and i see behind me and it's not the result of my tripping stumbling falling bleeding bruising 
But it was all based on what Jesus Christ was doing in spite of me being the one involved with it. Is your faith sound? Is it sure? Thanks again for listening. If you have questions about becoming a Christian, discipleship, or if you have prayer requests, you can visit us at facebook.com forward slash BC. Have a blessed week, and go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The Highland Gospel Mission was produced by Zach Link, with preaching by Keith Perrin. Music provided by Pixabay under Creative Commons.